rose from the grave to prove that death cannot even hold you. Lord, only in you do we find victory, God. So I pray that you would point those saints back to you who have wandered away. God, I pray that you would teach us sinners how to follow in your path more faithfully. God, that can only happen through your word and through us speaking your truth. God, so I pray that through the preaching of your word today, God, that our hearts would be encouraged, that our faith would be strengthened, and that many would come to salvation. Lord, be with Dr. Allen, fill him with your spirit, God, and let us be receptive to your truth. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Boy, that's one of those songs that makes you want to shout. And then it kind of lets you down for a soft landing. So let's rewind about 30 seconds. If you want to shout, go ahead and do it now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I knew it was in you. I knew you had to get it out, too, or you were going to burst. So you did. All right, here we go. Mark chapter number 4 is where we are. We have been uh, on a journey uh, preaching Sunday mornings through Mark's gospel, and we find ourselves today in Mark chapter number 4. So if you are following along, on a handheld device, or if you have a book in your hand, find your place with me in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 4. Mark, chapter number 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3. Of course, these words are in red. This is Jesus teaching, and this is the very first of a multitude of parables that Mark records in his Gospel. So, Here's what Jesus said, beginning in verse number 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, He who has an ear, let him hear. Skip with me down to verse number 13, where Jesus begins to explain this parable. It's one of the only places in the New Testament where we have an explanation to what Jesus has just taught. So, and what a, what a valuable piece of scripture it is. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other 
things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom was, uh, seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. About 100 years ago, uh, I was a student at Mississippi State University. Go Bulldogs, right? The real Bulldogs, the maroon Bulldogs of Starkville, Mississippi. And there I was an agronomy major. Now, if you don't know what agronomy is, and hardly anybody knows except those who major in it, agronomy is the science of seed, soil, and crops. And this parable is very much an agronomist passage because Jesus deals very specifically with all three of those, with seed and with soil and with crops. So I want to speak to you today on the subject of the farming side of faith. And you know, if I were king for the day, I would require that all ministry and mission students at BCF and any other of our seminaries have to spend at least a six-month internship on a working farm. Because when you read the Gospels, you find that the Gospels are just filled with the language of the farm. I think I kind of have an unfair advantage because of my farming background. It's really right in my wheelhouse. If I had to do all of my education over when I got to the doctoral level, I would write my dissertation on the implications of the agrarian language employed by the gospel writers. Don't that sound scholarly? Man, I'm telling you, I would love to do that. But really, when you read the gospels, you find that there is a plethora of agriculture and farming type of language. And unless we have a little bit of insight into that background, then we're really at a disadvantage when it comes to fleshing out exactly what it is the Lord says and other scripture writers when they talk about things like cows and sheep and goats and plowing and, and cultivating and watering and seed and soil and crops. So let's look at this subject today. Let's look at this passage again under the guise of the farming side of faith. And I'm so glad I'm preaching this message in Bonifay, Florida, where y'all all have dirt in your shoes. Hey, I, you know, I, I can imagine if I were to write a dissertation like that, I would bore some city boy, city slicking professor to death because he wouldn't have a clue about it. But you guys speak my language, so let's talk. What do you say? Here we go. Notice the farming side of faith. I think there are several things that we need to bring out here, number one, Jesus talks about the farmer himself. And the farmer sows. So the first thing we see in this passage is that the farmer sows without exception in all places. Now check this out. There are four different soil types which Jesus describes here. And these four soil types give us a picture of just about every type of person that you can imagine. So when the farmer sows, he's sowing everywhere. Now that immediately catches my attention as a farmer because can I say to you, seed are expensive. And I'm not about to sow them where I think they do not have a pretty good chance of doing what seeds do and that is bringing forth a harvest. 
But check out this farmer now. He sows on the sidewalk, on the path. He sows in rocky places. He sows among thorns. And then he sows on good ground. You see, a lot of farming has to do with seed bed preparation. But this farmer is sowing everywhere. I tell you what it does, it speaks to the grace of Almighty God. He sows his seed on all men, on all women, on all people. Doesn't matter where you are, who you are, he is content and happy to sow in your life. Now watch this. Here's the million dollar theological question about this passage. The question is, is he talking here about four types of believers or is he talking about three type of people who give a response but it's not a genuine response and then the only genuine convert or true disciple or follower of Christ is the one that brings forth fruit. Well, I'm going to tip my theological hand for you and I think there's good reason for it in the context of this passage and as we broaden our scope to take in what the Bible says about people who have genuinely been born again. Hence the second part of my title. The farming side of faith. Crop failure or a bumper harvest. Because those are really the only two options. You see in the first three types of soil that the Lord describes here what we have is crop failure. Produced absolutely nothing. And then in the fourth type of soil, what we find is a bumper crop harvest. They brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. Is it beginning to come a little more clearly in focus for you now? You see, the Lord does not fail. The Bible says, this one thing I'm confident, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And it is God's intention for those whom he draws to himself and crowns with the gift of salvation to be fruitful. Mark this down. The New Testament knows nothing of a fruitless believer. So I think we can say with pretty strong certainty that the first three are really not believers at all. Oh, they may have had some type of response to the word. They may have had an emotional response. They may have had some type of desire but they were never genuinely born of the Spirit. They were never genuinely born again. But now, let me hasten to say that for those of you who have been born again, who are typified in this passage by the good soil, you will still have to endure everything that those first three soil types endured. But here's the difference. You endure it and you still come out on the other side fruitful. You see, where they fail, where they stop short, a genuine believer will endure it and come out fruitful. So let's look at it like this, since this is Easter. Let's look at these first three as not being saved and the last one as being saved. Let's look at the first three, kind of a typification of what Saturday was like before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the fourth one as Sunday breaking forth with glorious light. Let's look at the first three as defeat. And let's look at the fourth one as victory. 
Let's look at the first three as those who try to be religious, living in the power of the flesh. Let's look at number four as that one who is living his life bearing fruit in the power of the Spirit of God. We can look at the first three as Romans type, a Romans 7 type of people, and we can look at the fourth one as Romans 8 type of people. So which one of those do you want to be? And hey, here's the follow-up question. First million dollar question. Is this four, type of belief, four types of believers? I think not. Second question, which is what Jesus wants us ultimately to deal with as we listen to this and as we hear this and as we ponder this is which one of these soil types describes me? That's ultimate. So let's check this out. Now look, this farmer has sown in all types of soil. Number one, he, he sows, the Bible tells us in verse number four, in the packed soil of a hard heart. Check it out. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. There where everybody had been traveling, they're on the main path, some of the seed was there, and it remained exposed. And notice what happens to exposed seed. The birds came down and ate it. So how do you know if you're a hard-hearted type of person? Well, here's how you know it. The birds immediately come down and steal the word, and it's gone. Watch me. I preach every Sunday to folk whom that word has no more endurance. Soon as it leaves my mouth, it's gone. It doesn't enter their mind. They leave it at church. They never think about it again. Do you know why? Because a spiritual transaction took place and the birds ate it up. Hey, watch all of these implications of what happens to those who are not genuinely saved. Hey, the devil is really not after you. You are no threat to the devil. Did you hear me? You are no threat to him. You're no match for him. But here's what he does. He will make sure he takes what does have potential in your life away, and that's the Word of God. Do you realize the Word of God has the ability to change everything for you? To change your now. To change your eternity. You are born again, Peter says, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible. The living Word of God. So the devil will do anything to keep you from having any thought of something that has the potential of changing your life and glorifying God. Here we go. Number two. The shallow soil of a superficial heart. Look what he said in verse number 5. Some soil fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. In other words, he's describing a, a field of lime rock that has about this much soil on it. Very superficial. And it appears that something's going to take place here, but because of the superficiality of it, the seed just cannot do what seed does, and that is germinate, come up, live, and produce a harvest. So what happens to it? Well, notice what he says, because it had no depth of soil. After the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root. How do you know if you're a superficial type of person? We've looked at the hard-hearted person. How do you know if you're superficial? Mark it down. Nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. I mean, you just can't string two Sundays of church attendance together. Nothing lasts. Seems you make a commitment, 
and it dissolves. There's just no depth, nothing to keep you grounded. So hence, it's scorched. Number three, not only does he sow in the packed soil of a hard heart and the shallow soil of a superficial heart, but he also sows in the crowded soil of a divided heart. Look at seven. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. That word choked is the same word that we get our word asphyxiate from. So choke is a good translation of that word. This describes the person who has a thousand things going on. I describe this person as having spiritual ADD. They just can't focus. They go this way for a little while. They go that way for a little while. They go this way for a little while. They're all over the place. And hear me, that produces no fruit. Dr. John Wilson established the fact right up front in the beginning years of Grace Church that we weren't going to be a church that tried to do hundreds of things. We were going to be a church that did one or two things and did them with excellence. See, I think that's the devil's tactic a lot of times is to get us trying to do so many things that we do nothing well. That's this person who has the crowded soil of divided heart. Now notice, all three of these are fruitless. And then number four, this farmer also sows in the fertile soil of a prepared heart. And we're going to see what takes place in the fertile soil of a prepared heart. So the first thing we see in this parable is that the farmer sows without exception in all places. Hey, you have been well seeded. Now what takes place after that? Well, we see not only that the farmer sows without exception in all places, but we see that the seed exposes you to a dangerous progression. Can I say to you that Christianity is not a middle-of-the-road type of proposition? It's not a shallow end of the pool proposition. You either jump off the high dive into the deep end, or you best not even getting in the pool at all. I mean, notice how the danger seems to progress because of exposure to the Word. Hey, do you realize that you are exposing yourself to danger just by being here this morning and hearing God's Word preached? You are. And there's going to be some things that take place in your life this week because you are under the sound of the gospel today. And notice how these things seem to progress as we work through these soils one more time. Notice what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the first thing that takes place, and here's the hard heart again, you're exposed to this dangerous progression, number one, to the stealing tactics of Satan. Now check this out. Look with me in verse number 15. Here's where Jesus begins to explain what I mean by the birds eating up the seed. He says in verse 15, These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear immediately, check that out, one of Mark's key words, immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Did you see that? Again, Satan doesn't have any interest in you at all. But he does have interest in preventing the word from hanging around in your heart and in your mind lest it cause him problems. So here's what the Bible says he does. And by the way, 
If you're here today, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. doesn't matter. If you're here today and you're the hard-heartedest person in the room, you got a meeting in just a little while with the devil. Immediately he comes. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want that guy hanging around me. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with him. But guess what? He's going to come sit next to you. He's, there's probably some folk, he's sitting next to you right now. He's already in your head. He's already in your ear. And he's already whispering lies. Here's what the Word says. The Bible says that immediately when you hear it, Satan comes, and here's the word that he uses. It means to violently take away. So he comes, and it's like somebody handing you a cookie, Savannah, and you take that cookie, and man, you're hungry. That looks like a good cookie. It's a rocky road with a marshmallow melted in the top of it. And as soon as you take that cookie, here's what the devil does. He comes from the side, and he rips it out of your hands. And it's gone. Because he doesn't want you exposed to the Word. So he snatches it violently away. Hey, if you go back here in the nursery, you'll find there's some children like that. <laughs> There'll be one little sweet, shy boy or girl just minding their own business, playing with their toy. And there'll be another one who wants that toy, and he'll just come up and snatch it away. That's what the picture is of Satan coming and snatching the word away. And again, you know that you've been victimized by the devil when you leave the word at church. And it never enters your mind again. You never have a thought of it. It's out of your mind. So listen, you will be exposed to the stealing tactics of Satan. Some of you, probably all of us, before we leave here today. Notice number next. Notice this progression. Well, if that doesn't work, if the seed hangs around for a little while, if Satan wasn't able to snatch it out of your hands, the second thing takes place, and you'll be exposed to the scorching tactics of circumstances. Look in verse number 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear it, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. So here are the scorching tactics of circumstances. Do you know that you are going to encounter some heat this week? because of where you are right now. You are. Because you are exposing yourself to the power of God's Word. Your circumstances this week are not just happenstance. Some of them will be orchestrated and they will be tactics to turn up the heat on you to get you to forget about what you've heard on Sunday. Son, is that effective? I'm telling you, I've seen it happen countless of times. Countless times. Just be on guard that something's going to fall apart this week. Something detrimental is going to happen. Something uncomfortable. Something's going to put pressure on you. Something's going to squeeze you. Something's going to heat up your world this week simply because you're at church. Now look, why would you want to expose yourself to all these problems and not get any of the benefits of it by being born again? You're not equipped to handle this stuff. 
So you are a sitting duck until you are born again. Notice what the next type of tactic is. The stealing tactics of Satan, the scorching tactics of circumstances, and then number three, the strangling tactics of competition. Look at verse 18 and 19. Others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Competition. As a farmer, I can tell you that one of the things which is a threat to the crop is the competition of weeds growing in the middle of the row. You see, they suck up nutrients. They suck up things that I put in that soil specifically for plants to eat to be known as plant food. But weeds come along and suck it up. So competition is a dangerous thing. I had, I had a friend of mine not long ago, he called me, he loves doing certain things uh, that, that are not bad things, and these things may not be bad things. But here's what he called and said. He said, look, I'm giving this up. I said, what's going on? He said, I just realized that is consuming large blocks of my time. Nothing bad with it at all, but it's taking so much of my time and energy until I have nothing left over for God. That's competition. And that's a tactic of the devil to get you so busy that the competition eats up all of your energy. All right, let's get to where I really want to be and spend the rest of my time. Notice the farming side of faith. Number one, the farmer sows without exception in all places. Number two, the seed exposes you to, da to a dangerous progression. You are exposing yourself to danger by being under the Word today. And then finally, the seed exponentially increases productivity. Hey, if you're here and you're going to be a target, you might as well protect yourself. You might as well be in a good position to be able not only just to survive, but to thrive and to bring forth a harvest. You see, that's God's goal in our lives. Again, there's no such thing in the New Testament as a fruitless child of God. And notice the exponential increase. The Bible tells us in verse number 20 that these who hear and accept bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's exponential. Hey, that's that's not just addition, that's multiplication. So how is it that you can be one of those type of people? Well, it's a very good question, and I think the answers are buried right here in this text. Number one, to be productive, you must focus. 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 I quoted a guy in an article that I wrote not long ago that has done scientific research to prove that the attention span of the average human being is less than that of a goldfish. The devil bombards us to make sure we don't have time to focus. Focus, focus. Look what it is that Jesus says. And I love the fact that Jesus had to say, can you believe it? There were folks who sat under the preaching ministry of Jesus that drifted off. They just did. How do I know? Because look what he says. He calls those people's attention back to him in several ways. Look what he says in verse number 3. He says, listen, 
Now listen, listen to me. You know what he was saying? He was saying, hey, look at me, focus. I've got something important here for you. Focus for a little while. Stay with me. You know, I know how it is. It's hard sometimes to control our mind. I mean, there's some of you now that you're sitting somewhere on a beach under a big umbrella. <laughs> That's just the nature of the beast. But there are times when we've got to have the spiritual discipline to focus. And can I say this to you? God has the supernatural capacity to rivet your attention. He does. No matter what excuse we make for not being able to pay attention, we're saying more about what we believe about God than what we think about our ability. God can rivet attention. I've been in Brazil preaching before in Portuguese in a 140 degree brick hut with a tile roof and there'd be iguanas running up and down the back wall and those Brazilians never pay them any attention. They're right on me. I have had donkeys come up literally and stick their head in the window of the church, Dane, and do whatever it is donkeys make. I'm a farm boy and I still don't know what that's like. What, what do you call that, what they do? Whatever they do, I've had them do that and get this. Son, if that happened in here right now, if a donkey stuck his head in and braid or whatever you call it, it'd empty this building, wouldn't it? <laughs> There'd be a mighty parting of these chairs. They'd be turning over. Folk would be saying, what in the name of creation is that? And those Brazilians just riveted. Write this word down out beside this point. Interest. 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 Because the bottom line, we focus on what we're interested in. Do we not? I've got a confession to make. I'm going to pay a price for this when I get home. But I can be watching a football game and son, they're in the red zone. It's third down and goal. And we're in the fourth quarter. And it never fails, men. As soon as you're watching that, somebody comes up and wants to have an in-depth conversation with you. Who is it? <laughs> Y'all don't say it out loud. Just one of us getting in trouble is enough. But I want to tell you, because I'm interested in that football game, look here, I have the ability to put blinders on. And when it's over, I just committed to a long walk on the beach barefoot and didn't even know it. <laughs> because I'm focused on what I'm interested in. So can I ask you, does your interest lie in spiritual things? Are you focusing your life like a laser on God's Word for any specific amount of time in your day? Man, if you're going to be productive, listen to me. you got to focus because you know what it is that brings forth the harvest in your life? It's not you. It's the Word. And I can tell you if you're not focusing on the Word, there will be very little, if any, if any fruit. So how is it that you are productive. Number one, to be productive, you must focus. But number two, to be productive, you must fight. Fight, 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 fight. You wrote interest beside focus. Write this beside fight. Important. Important. Have you ever noticed that folk are willing to fight for what they value? If it's important to us, we will fight over it. And we will fight for it. Am I right? 
So how is it that we fight? Well, number one, get this. The Word gives you the will to fight. If this is precious to you, if you live by, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, then this is important to you. Hear me? You'll fight for it. That means you'll push competition back. You'll break through circumstances. You will not let the devil snatch it out of your hands. I had one son. Man, he was the firstborn. He was the little quiet, soft-spoken. He would be playing with something and a kid come up and just rip it out of his hands and no problem to him. He'd just sit there and look sad for a minute and then he'd get something else and play with it. We had a second son. Kipper is here today. He was the guy coming and ripping out of everybody else's hands. <laughs> so let me tell you about Kipper. You rip something out of his hand that he was playing with, and you just liable to get hit upside the head with a short stick of PVC pipe. <laughs> you didn't take it from him. It was valuable to him. He told me one day that a kid was picking on him in the backyard, and I was just being, you know, I was, I was joking. I said, well, son, pick up a stick and knock the heck out of him. It wasn't about 30 seconds later, that kid came in with a welt down the side of his face right there. <laughs> it was valuable to him, so he'd fight for it. And hear me, if the word is valuable, we'll fight. Well, what is it we fight? Well, number one, we fight all three of these things that just took the word from other people's lives, those who weren't born again. Number one, you will fight wickedness. And can I say that Satan is wicked? In Matthew's version of this story, he says the evil one. He doesn't use his proper name. He says the evil one. Now here's what's interesting. Evil has two words in the Greek New Testament that are translated by our one word evil. One of those Greek words means just bad. And it describes a person who is content to be bad but mind his own business. You know anybody like that? I mean, yeah, they're evil. They're just consumed with their own personal evil. But the word that he uses right here is not that type of person. The word that he uses right here is the person who is evil and they're not happy unless they are bringing you down with them. And you see, that's the word that's used for Satan. He's already, he knows what his fate is. He's headed to the lake of fire. And the only consolation he has is taking you there with him. And that's his occupation from now until his final destiny is pronounced on him. Until he arrives there. And listen, you've got to fight that. You've got to fight, fight, fight. And how do you fight it? Well, the Word, I, I skipped over one here. The Word gives you the will to fight, but the Word gives you the weapons to fight. Whoever, I'm sorry, Miss Margie, back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. The Word is your weapon in which you fight. And if you're not focused on it, you are like a marine on the battlefield without ammunition. Or you got a gun, but you've got no bullets. How did Jesus fight him? By quoting God's Word. Here's what Paul says, taking the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, there's your weapon. And if you don't focus on it, you are without defense. So here's what we fight. We fight wickedness. But number two, here's something else a farmer fights. Farmer fights the weather. Does he not? 
Hey, farmers, I th- farmers have to depend have to depend more directly on God than any profession I know. Because they, they can't control the climate in their office. You know what I'm saying? And it seems like it's constantly either too wet or too dry. And a good farmer knows how to counter bad weather somehow or another. Sometimes you can, sometimes nothing you can do. But notice, this is weather stuff. Jesus said the sun comes up and scorches it. What's going on here? Well, check out what he says in this. I want you to see this, and here's what you have to fight. Look what the Bible says in verse 17. They have no firm root in themselves. Do you know the survival of the plant depends on not what you see above ground, but what's going on underground? How deep is that root? And it's the same thing with you. Check it out. Look, look, Look what he says. When affliction, stop right there. What is that? That's the storms of problems because of the word. Look what he says. When affliction, or here's the other one, persecution, what is that? That's the storms of persecution because of the word. Check it out. When these two storms arise, Jesus says, because of the word. Guess what? You are going to have a storm this week. Do you understand? This this wouldn't go well. I mean, I don't think you'd ever hear Creflo Dollar preaching something like this. Because most folks say, you just come on, give your life to the Lord and everything's going to go right. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll have it made. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, you hear the word and I promise you, you're going to have a visit from Satan this week. You hear the word and the weather's going to turn bad. The storms of affliction are going to come. The storms of persecution are going to come. But the good news is you're equipped to endure it if you've been born again. Check it out. Notice what else you have to fight. Not only you have to fight wickedness, not only you have to fight weather, but you have to fight weeds. Weeds. You know what that is? That's competition. Jesus talked about them here. He said, the thorns grew up. The thorns grew up and choked them. Now check out what he what he equates here with weeds in verse 19 as it goes back all the way up to verse number 7. 18 and 19 interpret verse number 7. So here are the weeds of competition that are going to keep you from focusing and going to keep you from fighting and are ultimately going to keep you from being as fruitful as you possibly could be. Here are the weeds that are going to come after you this week. Number one, the weeds of worry. Check out what Jesus said. But the worries of the world. Very interesting word there, Jerry Newman. Where are you? This word that is translated worry, here's what it gives us the picture of. It gives us the picture of a hunting dog. Let's just say for our sake, a bird dog. It gives us the picture of a bird dog with his nose to the ground and you can tell he's on a hot trail. At any moment, he's going to point because he's got his birds. And here's a picture of a bird dog with his nose to the ground, focused, trying to find these birds and all of a sudden a rabbit cuts in front of him. And you know what he does? He decides that that rabbit looks more promising than these birds in the bush. (laughs) Hey, a rabbit in the hands worth two birds in the bush, right? So that bird dog makes a hard left and he starts going after rabbits. That's the word that Jesus uses 
for worry, that's translated worry. So here's what happens when we begin to worry. And by the way, you do know that worry is contrary to faith. And so many folk just pass it off by saying, I can't help it, I'm, I'm just a worrier. Oh, you can't help it. You can fight it. Paul says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Be anxious for nothing, he says. Hey, focus. Don't focus on what the devil's telling you might happen. Focus on what God's Word tells you already has happened. And that fights, that combats worry. And it helps you be fruitful. Check out number next. Not only do you have to fight the weeds of worry, but you've got to fight the weeds of worldliness. Look what he says. He says, and the deceitfulness of riches. My, my, nothing wrong with having money, but there's something wrong when money has you. And you know how it is that you destroy the green monster of greed? You destroy him by giving it away. That causes him to shrivel up like a snail upon whom salt has been poured. Fight the weeds of worldliness. Hey, why in the world do we want to look and talk like this corrupt world in which we're living? I don't get it at all. We're called to stand out, not blend in. Check out number next. We have to fight the weeds of worry. We have to check, fight the weeds of worldliness. We have to fight the weeds of wants. Look what he says. And the desires for other things. One of my favorite scripture is this. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You know what that means? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean that if you delight yourself in the Lord, you feign some type of allegiance or love for Him that He'll give you that new Cadillac you've been wanting. That's not what it means. You know what it means? It means when you focus on Him, He gives you the desires that your heart contains. He can also give you the thoughts of your mind. Commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Man, how cool is that to have God controlling you at a desire level and at a thought level. That way I'm not running around pulling up weeds all the time of what I'm thinking and what I'm wanting. I'm allowing God to give me His desires and His thoughts. Wants. How are you going to be fruitful? By pulling up some weeds. And then check this out. I didn't have space to include it on your outline, but when we've done, we've done all that, oh, there's no mistake about it. You will be fruitful. Far be it for me to talk about a 30, 60, and 100-fold crop without telling you what that crop is, right? How many have been thinking, well, what is, what is, it, what is fruit? What kind of type of fruit am I going to be bearing? Here you go. Let me list them for you real quick. I'm just going to list them because I don't have time. Number one is the fruit of character. You know what that means? That means you're going you're to be different. The Word's going to have its work in your life. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to be transformed. You are going to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. You're going to look a little bit more like Him. That's the fruit of character. That's what happens when you focus on the Word. When you fight for the Word, the Word transforms us. Number next, not only do you have the fruit of character, but number two, the fruit of conversation. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about the fruit of our lips. You know what that means? He's going to clean our language up. 
We're going to be talking about spiritual things. We're going to be using our mouth to praise Him and worship Him. That's the fruit of our lips. And then number three is the fruit of conversion. Romans chapter 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Hey, can I ask you? This is what it means. It means that you are directly involved in discipling other people. There's going to be a parade of people in your spiritual family tree who are coming to faith in Christ because of you. There are going to be people whom you're influencing. There are going to be people whom you're discipling. All of those things. So let's go back to the original question. What type of person am I? And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Listen, look, don't let the devil steal it from you. You fight for it in Jesus' name. Eternity just might be at stake. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you.